This is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I'm your host, Davey Crockett. Thanks. Thanks for coming. This is episode 72, the 19th part of the 100-mile history. Wow, that's cool. In this episode, I will tell for the first time the story of Don Ritchie's 1977 100-mile world record set on a track at the Crystal Palace in London. Future American Ultra-Running Hall of Famer Frank Bozanich was there and joins in telling the story. During the early 1970s, the majority of the American ultramarathons were held in the eastern states, including 100 milers. But by the late 1970s, a western migration was taking place, and soon the state of California was holding the most ultras. Ultra runners learned about races mostly by word of mouth from other runners who they would see before and after a race. That is how American Frank Bozanich received an invitation to run in a historic race, the 1977 24-hour Crystal Palace track race in England, where the Scot Don Ritchie would make 100-mile history. In 1976, Nick Marshall of Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, published the world's first newsletter dedicated purely to ultra-running. This annual publication became known as the Ultra Distance Summary. Marshall tried to compile the top American 100-mile times in history. His attempt was a Herculean effort, given the lack of access to resources and newspapers. He found 20 Americans who had reached 100 miles in less than 20 hours by 1977. If 100-milers were included for runners throughout the entire world before 1977, the sub-20-hour list exceeds 200 worldwide runs. Marshall's 1977 ultra-distance summary stated that no formal 100-mile races took place in 1977, but actually a few were held worldwide, along with a half-dozen 24-hour races. Don Ritchie was from Scotland, and some people argue that he was the greatest ultra-runner in history on tracks and roads for ultra-distances of 100 miles or less. In his early teens, he took part in school sports as a sprinter and usually finished in the top three. When he was 16 years old, he participated in his first walking race, which was popular at the time. The race was for seven miles and had 45 walkers. Ritchie finished a tired fifth and walked in his working clothes and shoes. He walked the race again the following year and was bothered that two girls beat him. He concluded that he probably needed to train. Ritchie ran cross-country in school and during the track season raced the 440 and 880-yard races. His coach advised him to concentrate on the 880. In 1963, at the age of 19, he started to run 15 miles regularly with Alistair Wood, one of the greatest ultra-runners of the early 1970s, who later won London to Brighton race in a record time. Ritchie eventually started to keep up with him on training runs. Scottish athletics required that runners be at least 21 years old in order to run in marathons. In 1965, Ritchie was old enough and entered a marathon with Alistair Wood. The furthest Ritchie had trained was 17 miles. He did great and was pleased with his finish time of 2 hours 43 minutes. 
His mentor, Wood, won the race in 2 hours 24 minutes. When Richie finished, he didn't say never again. He was excited to run more marathons. His personal best for a marathon would be 2 hours 19 minutes at the London Marathon. Richie's best running year of his life was in 1977 at the age of 32 when he was a schoolmaster. In April 1977, he broke the world 50K track record at Ewell, England, with a time of 2 hours 51 minutes, taking more than 4 minutes off the previous world record. He beat the 100-mile world record holder, Kevin Woodward, by about 23 minutes in that race. He followed that up by winning London to Brighton that year, despite being ill. Just three weeks later, he would run perhaps the greatest race of his life, at the 24-hour race at the Crystal Palace at London, England. Frank Bozanich, age 33, was a captain in the Marines, stationed in San Diego. He grew up in Anacortes, Washington. His father was a commercial fisherman, and as a boy, Bozanich spent a lot of time in the outdoors and worked with his dad on boats. He said, As I grew older, I worked on fishing boats for other skippers, which allowed me to attend college. I also had some tough coaches in high school who believed in hard work. He was a sprinter and ran some cross-country in high school. After graduation, he joined the Marine Corps and attended Officers Candidate School, going through tough physical instruction. In 1968, Bozanich headed to Vietnam and spent 12 months on the front lines. He said, the things I saw and did prepared me to adjust to many tough situations. After returning home and stationed in North Carolina, he discovered that he enjoyed longer runs. He eventually gravitated to the 50K and 50 miles. His first ultra was the USA National 50K Championship in his home state of Washington, where he finished in third place. In 1976, he ran the classic Metropolitan 50-miler in Central Park, New York, and won with a time of 5 hours 36 minutes against some stiff competition. Bozanich was one of the early American ultra-runners who sought to compete against the top international competition. In 1977, he was given permission by the Marine Corps to go to England and compete in the 1977 London to Brighton, 52 miles, won that year by Ritchie. Bozanich ran the race cold turkey without any course preview and was assisted by two Marines. He recalled, When the race went off, you know, I started putting it on the typical start off pretty hard, you know, but I went through 10 miles in like 56 minutes and I was in 10th place and I'm going, Jesus. <laughs> you know, and, and it was like that through 20 and stuff. And then around 30 or so, we started getting into some of the hills and then the weather changed and it started to rain and the wind was howling and and I started suffering and I'm going up this hill and you know, I'm talking to myself and saying, this is my last ultra, I'm not running another one, I'm done. I'm done, so done. He finished in 17th place with an impressive time of six hours and two minutes. While recovering in a Roman bath, he was approached by four or five guys. About four or five guys came up to me and they said, can we ask you a question? And I said, yeah, go ahead. They said, well, we'd like to invite you to run in the Crystal Palace 24 hour. We're limiting it to 12 runners. We'd like you to be there. And I said, I'll be there. Half hour before that, I was saying, I'm not running another ultra. 
that lasted a long time. <laughs> he returned home to San Diego and successfully received orders from the Marines to return to England and run in the historic 1977 race at the Crystal Palace. You are ordered to run. In October 1977, Richie secured time off his job, without pay, to go run the 24-hour Crystal Palace track race. It was run on an outdoor 400-meter tartan synthetic track where many historic races were held. Richie took the train there and first checked out the unusual track surface that he had not run on before. He taped his feet and would run in racing shoes without socks. Put some socks on. The weather was good but would be warm up to 65 degrees in the afternoon. Bozanich also arrived with two Marines to help him. I'd never been in one of these things, didn't know what I'd gotten myself into. So we get to the stadium and I'm packing a bag and I got some Snickers bars and some Cokes. That was going to be my nourishment because that's what I, normally I'd used in races and stuff. And we get there as we're going down. I'm looking over the field. People are setting up tents. <laughs> you know, everybody's got this, you know, and they got all this stuff, you know. And I got back a change of shoes, maybe, or, and something else. And there's two Marines, and that was the team. And I'm thinking, what the hell did I get myself into? <laughs> and had never gone really beyond 50 miles. On October 15, 1977, Richie, Bozanich, and 10 others started out on the historic 24-hour race. Bozanich watched Richie go. When the gun went off, he was gone. So I didn't know any better, so I'm kind of hanging with him there. And he is one determined guy. I got to be friends with him, and he was so determined and focused. You know, he just put his head down and went. If you run too fast, the tendency is to become a slow plodder, enormous stamina, but this is, in spite of its long distance, all about winning. It's all about doing it as fast as possible. Richie indeed went out blazing fast. His first 10 mile split times were 1 hour 2 minutes, 103, 102, reaching 50k in 3 hours 15 minutes. At about mile 40, his feet and legs started to become sore. He speculated that it might have been due to the warm afternoon's effects on the synthetic track surface. He took salt tablets and fueled on a special carbohydrate drink with vitamin C and potassium. Bozanich also started to have issues too. At one point I was running into some difficulties. I'd gotten a blister on my toe and trying to fix that and a young guy comes over and he's a brother of John Nippenberg and I uh, said, hey, is this what you have here for your team? I said, yeah. He says, well, would you like to come over and set up by us? We will help you out because you have the full team and so that's what happened. So I went over there and they started taking care of me and helping me and I just kept going. Richie hit the halfway point, 50 miles, in 5 hours, 15 minutes, and he reached the 100k mark at 6 hours, 39 minutes. At 80 miles, he was informed that he was on a world record pace for 100 miles. By mile 90, his feet were very sore, so he took a couple aspirin. He was determined to break Cavan Woodward's 100-mile record and pushed hard the rest of the way. His last 10 miles were run in 1 hour 18 minutes, and he indeed broke the 100-mile world record in 11 hours, 30 minutes, 51 seconds. He only stopped once to use the bathroom the entire 100 miles and averaged a 6.54-mile pace. 
Richie's 100-mile track record would stand for 25 years. Richie said, I ran for 100.5 miles before stopping to have a massage and to look at my feet, which were hurting badly. I had two blisters on my left foot, and my right had three blisters plus a cut. I changed my shoes and tried walking, but I could not make myself run again. The outside of my right foot was also painful from favoring the inside where the blisters were. He decided to drop out of the 24-hour race, but he broke the 12-hour world record with 100 miles, 727 yards. He couldn't run again for four days because of his torn-up feet. Other runners continued. Bozanich said, The hard part was just trying to keep going, especially as I used to run in 50 miles, I could just drop the hamburger, you know, and hang on. You come to find out you're going double Latin and more, trying to just keep going through the night. I never stopped and took a nap. I slowed down a lot. You know, I'd take a short rest. And... Bozanich reached 100 miles in 15 hours, 21 minutes, and Nippenberg retired after reaching 100 miles in 17 hours, 21 minutes. Only seven of the starting 12 reached 100 miles. Nippenberg's crew kindly committed to crew Bozanich for the full 24 hours. From them, he learned the virtue of eating baby food for the first time during an ultra. Gerber prepares food for the most important person in the world. The end soon neared. Bozanich recalled, it hurt to just jog, but I couldn't go much faster, so, you know, it was just more of a pounding on the legs, and the faster you go, the lighter you land, but I couldn't go fast anymore, because I had never gone through something like that, and I pushed the earlier parts pretty hard, and it got foggy in the morning, and you couldn't even see across the infield at one point. I'd run and walk, run and walk, come in, and a uh, big masseuse guy would massage my leg, and then he'd grab my arms and pull me out of the chair and then lead me to the track and give me a push <laughs> to get going. So every few laps, I'd come in and he'd work on me. He finished with 128 miles. Tom Roden of Great Britain reached the furthest with 156 miles, the third best 24-hour run in the world up to that point. He had reached 100 miles in 13 hours, 34 minutes. Bozanich's leg muscles were trashed. The hard part was to get to the outside of the stadium we had to climb up the steps and then down into the locker room area so they worked on me there for a while and then them almost had to carry me up the steps out of the stadium to get me down there because my legs were just gone he recovered there for a few days before flying home richie and bozanich developed a strong friendship the next year in 1978 when richie traveled to california to run in a runner's world event with bozanich and others Jim Shapiro of New York City was a freelance writer who published in many magazines and newspapers during the 1970s, putting the public spotlight onto ultra running. He said, As a schoolboy, I ran a fair bit because I enjoyed it, but I suffered my share of last place finishes on a boarding school track. Always I had the feeling that if the distance was long enough, I would come into my own. Shapiro was a graduate of Harvard and served in the Peace Corps. Quite by chance, in 1974, I saw the finish of the Boston Marathon. Then it became very simple. I had to run one too. He started to train and soon was running marathons. 
he became a member of the Boston Athletic Association and visited physiotherapist Doc Semple at the Boston Garden for some treatment. Semple gained fame when he tried to tear off the bib number of Catherine Switzer when she ran in the Boston Marathon in 1967. On this truck was the race directors. One of them was a feisty character by the name of Jock Semple. He just stopped the bus, jumped off, and ran after me. Shapiro and Semple discussed ultramarathons and Max White's impressive 1973 fourth-place finish at the famed London to Brighton 52-mile race. Semple remarked, Why, for the love of Pete, does he want to run such things? That ultra stuff is for old men, fellas at the end of their running careers. There's no future in it, none at all. Nobody cares about such stuff. He should run marathons. That's where the glory is. Shapiro understood the personal attraction for running ultra distances. I had some success in competition, which was rewarding, but my taste really veered more toward private solo runs, the 50-mile crunchers. He started to run further and further. In the age without Garmin watches, he would meticulously measure his runs in Manhattan with an expensive Swiss-wheeled map reader along topographical maps pinned to the wall of his apartment so he could know how far he had run within a hundredth of a mile. He said, The ultra distances are so long that simply to cover them can be for such an achievement that matters much more than the speed with which it is done. In 1975, Shapiro went to Mexico to witness firsthand the culture of the Tarahumara and their legendary distance running abilities. He hoped to learn something about running from them. He came away very impressed and wrote, In a way, I hope that the Tarahumara are left to practice their ultra running games among themselves on their own terms. In September 1977, Shapiro made a significant impact on public awareness of the ultra-running sport when he wrote a magazine article that was published in Sunday newspapers across the country. It was entitled, What Makes Them Run and Run and Run? The article solidified the use of the term ultra-marathon first coined by Ted Corbett in the 1950s. He opened the article with, one of the world's most grueling athletic events is also one of its least known. It's the ultramarathon. Ask them why they take on such awesome feats of endurance and such rigorous training, often up to 200 miles a week. And the answers, diverse as they may be, commonly cite a love for running and extreme challenges. While the 1977 article introduced the ultramarathon to the country, it also painted a picture that it was an outlier odd sport. Reactions from other runners range from awe to incomprehension. A familiar comment is, that's crazy stuff. Shapiro continued to publish articles about ultra runners. In Harvard Magazine, he used the term ultra runners and described them as, the authentic crazies of the sport, the swept together cuttings who represent every kind of motivations and background. They are the mammoth distance specialist, inspired lunatics who yearn to accomplish mind-breaking feats. Shapiro went on to write many books, including the classic 1980 book, Ultramarathon, which is now a rare book. That year, he also ran across America in 81 days. 
Other 100-mile races were held in 1977 besides the first Western States 100, see episode 71. In July, the famed Washi 100-miler was held for the first time in South Africa. The idea for the race was hatched in a pub in 1976. Lionel Whitfield came up with the idea for the road race that would become nearly twice the distance of Comrades Marathon, 54 miles. He wanted to name the race after his father, Granville Washi Whitfield. The course selected was 100 miles between Port Alfred to East London, with nearly 8,000 feet of climbing along the way. But the committee were still in disbelief at this proposal. Uh, they, I mean, they of course brought forward that this was double the distance of comrades, and who would this kind of race appeal to? Surely only the lunatics. Of course, I'm trying not to laugh because we don't uh, call them that anymore since the entire committee actually entered and ran the inaugural race in 1977. So they say, cometh the hour, cometh the committee. 20 lunatics did sign up. The 1977 Washi 100 started at night during the South African winter of July 1st in very cold weather. There were 12 finishers in the inaugural race. Len Jenkins of South Africa won in 15 hours, 17 minutes. The Washi 100 has been held to the present day, the oldest 100 miler in South Africa. In the 1970s, a 24 hour relay craze took place at high schools, colleges, and running clubs. I'm in a relay race and it is my turn. Unintentional right turns. Records were claimed, but hard to compare because of the number of team members in the relays varied so much and record-keeping was always suspect. These type of running relays took place as early as 1907. In 1930, at Montreal, a professional race of six two-man relay teams competed for 24 hours against each other and six teams of horses. The winning team reached 211 miles, 11 miles ahead of the first horse team. In 1959, at Melbourne, Australia's Olympic Park, a large 24-hour relay race involved 20 clubs was held with teams of unlimited sizes, although each competitor had to run at least four miles. The road course was a one-mile loop around the park. The winning team reached 275 miles. In late December 1964, teenagers from Riverdale High School in New Jersey were perhaps the first high schoolers to attempt a 24-hour relay. Fifteen runners were involved. Sheets of rain began to fall within five hours, and one by one, worried parents dragged their sons home from the mud. When the last of the parents had rescued their loved ones, only six were left in their leaking tent, sipping hot chicken soup. During the night, one boy fell in the creek and another doubled up with stomach cramps, leaving only four by dawn. The team reached 157 miles and it was said to be a success. Only about seven of the 15 runners got hurt. One of the mothers said, Will I let him run again? Please don't talk to me about any more races. It was reported, Another mother who was at the finish line said she would try anything short of physical violence to bring her 16-year-old son's running career to an end. Knows best. 
1968, Simi Valley High School Pacers Club in California ran 257 miles in 24 hours in stiff Santa Ana winds. The wind became so bad that the boys started to run relay legs of only one lap. They believed that they had set a record. I wasn't really sure because like 24 hours sitting on the school field, like, I don't know, coming back to school on the weekend. But now that I got here, it's pretty fun. I really enjoy it. I'll come back next year. In March 1970, at Corvallis High School track in Oregon, up to 125 students sought to break the 24-hour record, which was believed to be 323 miles set by Franklin High Track Team of Portland, Oregon. The Corvallis team reached 347 miles and ran legs as short as 110 yards in the rain and to the tunes of Three Dog Night and Santana. It seems that the neighbors didn't enjoy the music and the PA had to be turned off, but the cop was conned into running a lap. The baton was passed an estimated 5,500 times. At an Olympic runner training camp held at Washington State University in Pullman, Washington, a 10-man relay team of middle-distance runners reached 295 miles doing one-mile laps. They claimed that they broke a world record that was previously 258 miles. This inspired many high school and college teams to also try to go after the record using the 10-man, one-mile leg format. Runner's World magazine published rules that stated if a man had to drop out, you had to continue on with the original nine. Runner's World magazine even sponsored a relay race at New Milford, New Jersey, where a New Jersey Striders team reached 271 miles. Some teams would reduce the number of runners and then claim a world record. Formal relay races were established in 1972 composing of multiple teams. Lap counting was always a challenge. For one race held in Newark, New Jersey, a runner complained, The records officials kept of mileage each team had run were at best unfounded estimations. They never seemed to know how far any team had gone, yet they were always sure what place each team was in. In 1974, the world record was raised to 297 miles by the Edinburgh Athletic Club in Scotland. By 1976, so many annual 24-hour relay events were being conducted that yearly world rankings were even kept and published by Runner's World magazine. They listed 250 team accomplishments for 1975 and kept an all-time list too. In 2021, the 24-hour world record best for 10 runners was thought to be 302.2 miles set in 1994 by Puma Tinside Running Club in Great Britain. Stay tuned for more 100-mile history. With that, this is Davy Crockett, and this is the Ultra Running History Podcast. I hope you run fast and far, enjoy life, get outdoors, and most of all, stay safe and don't take unnecessary chances. <laughs>